All right. Welcome back to the Half Big Podcast yet again. Today is our third episode, at least if I'm airing them in the way that I'm recording them. Welcome, one and all. Today, my half baked topic is shame. I really want to talk about shame because I feel like it underlies basically us as people. It seem, doesn't seem to matter what it is about, what kind of relationship, even if it's just with yourself. I find that shame, shame is a killer. <laughs> people say that stress is a killer, which is 100% correct, but I also feel that shame is a killer. That might sound like quite a dramatic statement to make, but I really don't think that it is because I think this shame that we are taught regarding so many things so early on in life, it influences everything that we do and everything that we are and how we interact with the world. It's, I don't know, I find that it teaches us not to trust ourselves or that we aren't, yeah, trustworthy authorities on ourselves. Um, I'm so not used to being in spaces where when you start, I don't know, I guess kind of going off the rails, people are very quick to um, nicely, I guess, minimize what you said, give you a tight smile, and then redirect the conversation. Like, don't talk about anything too long. Don't get too passionate about anything. Don't say anything too... I don't know, just don't have too strong of an opinion about anything, essentially, is how I feel. So when I'm in those spaces, I feel disallowed. And like my unofficial creativity coach, Amy McNee, who if no one has heard of her, I really highly suggest you check out their podcast. Her and her husband's Inspired to Write is her Instagram. Um, the podcast is called Unpublished. It's amazing. It's just like hanging out with someone. And I have to be honest, they are a big part of why I even started this podcast to begin with. Um, but to go back to my point, <laughs> if I can remember what it is. Like Amy, I want to be witnessed. And when I'm in the spaces that I feel like I'm unable to be myself and people don't directly want to not witness me, but who I am comes out and who I am makes them uncomfortable. I come on too strong. They don't like my opinions. And because of that, they don't want to bear witness to that. It makes them uncomfortable. I basically shut down. I don't want to be in spaces where I feel like I am disallowed from being. And so I don't know what sort of um, shame stories come up here. I mean, I guess I probably have an idea, but unashamed, man, yeah. That's my jive, is being unashamed, right? And, and by doing that, I know that you can come on too strong. I do recognize that. But it doesn't make it hurt less when you are in situations where people do minimize you. So yeah, shame. I, I find that I, I didn't, don't feel like I had this um, indoctrination of shame growing up, at least from my mom, and at least not as much as other people. So a lot of times when I'm in other situations with other families, I am really surprised by how narrow the mode of behavior can be, if that makes sense, like how narrow appropriate behavior is. And that makes me want to like tear my clothes off and run naked through the streets. I hate 
feeling shamed. I think it is so disrespectful. And I don't think that's where it comes from a lot of times. It is just like, well, this is proper conduct. This is how you show respect and so on and so on. This is how you respect yourself when really people have very, very personal definitions of those things. So I jumped on the bandwagon of reading the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It was one that I had heard heard referenced a lot online and other places and to get very personal it was actually like you know serendipitous timing that I found this like I I didn't plan to go out of my way I saw it in bookstores lots but I never purchased it because I didn't know if I even really wanted to read it that much uh, I had people that I follow on Instagram share things and then I was just at my sister's house and we were talking books about books and I mentioned it and uh she was like, yeah, I thought I had it, but we couldn't see it anywhere. I go home. She sends me a text like, is this the one? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I picked it up for when I started reading it. And I read the first half in one evening. Um, and then I slowed down after that. But it was it was much more personal than I expected because there's this woman who, right, is married, is religious, and has multiple kids with her husband and realizes that she is attracted to girls and is in, in love with a woman and she leaves her husband to be with this woman. And that is a very personal topic for me right now. The last couple of years, me and my partner have been going through this process of what is a relationship? Like what is a romantic relationship? What are the boundaries? What's okay, what's not? Um, and kind of forging our own concept of what loyalty and partnership is because of this fact that there is this um, kind of break between us, which is our sexuality. Um, and it's been, it's been a process, but it's been beautiful. Um, my partner has been so understanding about it and I respect him and love him more and more every day. Um, but point being that I, I got this book and I started reading it and it's so accessible. It's so easy to read. It really does feel like you're just hanging out with this person. Um, it's beautiful. She really shares herself vulnerably. And for that reason alone, that's my jam. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah, she, she talks about... I don't remember what page it is, but she talks about basically um, reading something or hearing someone talk about basically sitting with yourself in silence or meditation. And she realized that she could not be with herself for even a couple of minutes in silence. She always, things were coming up. Oh, I should do this. Oh, I have to do this. Oh, but I got to write this down. I don't want to forget. You know, always something coming up that just needed to get done. And she makes a note or something about, I think everyone leaves the house and she goes and closes herself in the closet and literally just sits in the closet in the dark by herself with nothing, no music, nothing, just in silence. And right, eventually she could last for longer and longer and longer, um, sitting with just herself in silence. And she said she reached this point, um, I don't remember what she calls it. It's not sinking in, but maybe it is closing your eye and sinking in or she calls it the knowing, I think, or like a deep knowing, sense of knowing, right? This where your decisions come from, right? Not coming from external shame or what people taught you to do or what was right or what was wrong or, you know, exactly trying to find an answer that's right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. There is just decisions and their consequences. And that's where she found that deep knowingness of who she was and what she had to do. And I believe she makes a remark about it being basically God, like she got closer to God, right? She was developing her God concept. And it was like a couple pages and I just reveled in it. These couple pages I felt like were coming from my own mouth. They were so beautiful. <laughs> That's That sounds so egotistical. Take it however you want. Um, it was wonderful to find that connection with someone else. Um, right again, to know that I wasn't alone. 
and to know that it was a woman going through similar experiences as I likely have before me. Um, maybe the end result will be different in the process. Certainly will be personal, but they're similar nonetheless. But anyway, I loved this idea um, for many reasons, but another one was that because when you go, when you sink in and you go lower, you are going lower than the shame, right? You're going to this area of your consciousness that precedes shame. It doesn't know shame, you know, because I feel like in life, it's just so inherent in growing up, right? By learning correct behavior and what's incorrect by how you get scolded and what's encouraged and how and how you see other people behave. And um, I feel like maybe to varying degrees and with different practices, but throughout history, human history, I do feel like it is a cultural thing, right? Where shame is utilized to veer a child in a certain direction, um, to be appropriate, however that is, or whatever that looks like for a given culture. Um, so I, I just find that there, it, that it's inherent. It's nearly inherent in all expressions of who you are as a living individual unit. If something comes to fruition, in or through your body, shame taints it. And it can be really, really hard to unravel shame because you can't even find where it starts, right? It can be hard to even draw a line from what is shame and what isn't shame. So I just found that this was a wonderful exercise of getting to experience something or anything without shame, right? Not just with something erased out of an experience or diluted or paused and reflected on and questioned, no before shame, before shame even touches it, there's no shame in it at all, right? You're not, you're not worrying about cringe or anything like that. I, I worded it in a certain way. The last, last podcast, I can't remember what it was. Um, not, I'm not going to remember it, but yeah, you're not worried about cringe or being subpar. I think that's how I worded it in the last podcast, right? You're not worried about the things that'll make you subpar, or make people laugh at you. No, you'll, you'll just, experience it in its own right and you'll feel the validity in it and then when you come back to the surface right I feel like again it just happens you're gonna then it's gonna finish rising to the surface and you're gonna see it with shame it's like when there's like a gross layer of something on top of the water right it comes to the top it's then affected by this grimy thing called shame <clears throat> but because you have that experience or that memory preceding the shame you have these two separate memories of it you have the actual inherent need or whatever it is and then with shame and then you can use those two things to contrast and compare to start developing your own concept of shame and I think I think that's just a beautiful place to start I think that's really really, really useful place to start and I, I I hope that anyone will do that or find a way to meet themselves like that. Another way of doing that is journaling. Yeah, journaling can be so useful. And I feel like in a large way, we could really start re-looking at what journaling is, how you do it, what it does for you. Because I still feel like it has this um, idea of being very feminine and silly and infantile, like a 13-year-old girl wearing a bow sits at her desk at night after she's done doing her homework and before mommy and daddy come and tuck her in, she's writing her diary about the boy she likes or someone she kissed or maybe even a dirty dream she had or something like that, right? But then I also feel like you have this idea of people who who um, publish their journals 
and how, especially growing up, that I love that stuff. And then you read these things and these people sound so eloquent and beautiful and they all they have all these diverse thoughts. And you're like, well, damn, my journal doesn't or wouldn't, wouldn't look like that. And again, uncovering that too. Again, there's shame in that, that feeling of like, well, I could never measure up to that. But the answer is you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to measure up to that. That's not your journal. That's not your processes. Those aren't your life. Even if it's literally the same language, it's likely at a different time. So in a way, it's almost its own dialect. You don't talk or speak or write the way that someone else did even 20 years ago. You probably you don't write or talk or speak the way that anyone else does now. And there, that's what's so wonderful about your journal is that it's another place that you're safe. I wanted to get across, I believe it was in the last podcast, that you are safe inside of yourself. You are safe inside of your mind and in your body. And you can just sit and revel in that and feel at home. But you can also feel safe in your journal. And to mention Amy again, um, in their podcast, Unpublished, they too talk about that there are different ways you can journal if that feels safer, that her husband James journals, I believe it's on his phone, just in like a notepad kind of thing on his phone. I think at the end of the day, she writes, you know, maybe a page a day at minimum. Um, you can write it in a journal. You can have it on scrap paper and then burn it if you're afraid of anyone else seeing it or anything like that. Or if you're worried that you're with people who don't respect your privacy, that you can do that. No matter how you want to do, you can always like really kind of um, think on that and how it would best look for you. But yes, I feel like there's a lot of shame around journaling as well. And I think it's important to note that as well. There is shame there that's holding you back because damn, if we really, I feel like you could say scary in a sense, but I feel like scary is like a negative spin on it, but it's like exhilarating to recognize all the ways that shame is just seeping into you in your life. Because if you believe and if you know that there is a way out of shame, a way to come up for air or whatever it might be, there are so many things you can be and experience and do if you're willing to face that shame and unearth it. Because as I said in the last podcast and as well, I've heard Amy talk about so much is that if you face shame, it will dissolve it's like something that acts big and tough and scary, but really it's your fears and it's like this deep need to protect yourself or, you know, it might actually be the deep fears or needs of other people around you that were then passed on to you to protect yourself. But if you don't run from it and if you just sit and you let that shame seep in, it dissolves and you realize that you are still safe. I went through like a, a short time when I was a teenager, probably 14, when I was all about Yahoo Answers. I was always on there answering lots of questions, you know, ones that I felt that I had something to say to. And I was so proud of myself because I got lots of best answers. So I felt really useful that I'd helped people. And there was one girl, teenage girl, just like me, talking about how she really wanted to talk to her mom about this thing and how she just couldn't talk and how they were fighting more and more as she got older and that her mom didn't seem to care and that she, why this one thing was really important to her. And I shared this thing with her of how, for me, I'd found it so useful to just acknowledge this won't kill you. And that sunk so deeply for me, this recognition of like, you have all this fear and you know, right, and it, it, it's manifesting in physical ways. You're stuttering, you're shaking, you're sweating. You have these panicked thoughts, these extreme thoughts coming into your head, calming at just full force, not leaving you alone. And you feel like you're drowning, 
but then to gain that perspective to come back into the moment and just think this will this kill you no and i said in my comment all you have to do is be brave enough to say the first word the first sentence everything else will unfold from there you can't plan anything too far in advance because it depends on how you feel in that moment how your mom reacts and so on just be brave enough to say the word to even come downstairs and just say i need to talk right even if you know you're saying mom and waiting for her response is going to trip you up and then you feel like you're going to be like oh never mind then don't give yourself a chance to back out take a deep breath get to that place and then just say i need to talk to you about this or i want you to hear this whatever it might be something short digestible that gets your parents or whoever it is attention and um it's almost like um I don't know the words for it, but when people are mountain climbing and they have the things that they like um, forge into or force into the, the mountain wall, you know, for security to latch themselves in, it's that same thing. You're, it's okay, pitching a tent kind of thing, right? You're putting the pegs into the ground to establish something. That's what you're doing when you're doing that. You're laying the groundwork, essentially. You're putting yourself to safety in a way you are opening the dialogue and then it's open in the air. And that alone can really, really bring a lot of peace and make you feel safe in a situation, or at least safe enough to take the next baby step. I really found this useful. I found this from watching um, the movie, the movie of Big Fish. That's where it came from. I don't remember exactly what year or how old I was when I watched Big Fish. But I was going through like a de depressive slump, not unusual in my life. And um, that was one part when Ewan McGregor, I can't remember his name, Edward, is it Edward? I don't know, um, in the movie, he's going, walking with the, um, I think he's a giant and they're gonna, they can keep walking along this highway, I think, or they can go into these scary looking woods. And the giant's like, basically, what the fuck, bro? Like, why are you going there? Like, it's supposed to be a shortcut? I don't think so. I think you're being dumb. So he keeps walking along the highway and Edward, I'm just gonna call him Edward because I think that's his name. You know, is just as chipper as ever. And he starts walking through the woods and the further he walks, the creepier it gets. And right, he's panicking and the these gnarly branches are starting to move and enclosing him. And then in that moment when he's panicked and he's losing all control, it just stops and he realizes, I don't die like this. And then he's happy. And then the fear and the shame and everything that goes with it, everything, right? His imagination just kind of came back down. And rather than seeing all these things out to get him, like he was being persecuted, the forest just kind of almost retracted back to its normal form and then he continued on his way and he was out through and i don't know what was going on in that moment but i received that so so quickly i integrated that like automatically it was so useful to me for so many years and i'm sure it's still of use to me it's just that i um i maybe it's just that i don't have to think it i don't have to remind myself of it all the time. I don't have to repeat it to myself throughout the day. I don't have to stick up a note because for so many years, I did think about it so much that it's just integrated into my personality and how I handle things now. But yeah, I found that just transformational that any fear, anything that you know, you're scared of happening, it's okay because you'll live. And that might seem very short-sighted um, because you could argue that there are things in life 
that aren't with, worth living through, right? Depending on who you are and what you're going through and stuff, right? That actually might seem like a relief and it might not actually feel that, give you a sense of safety at all. Since I first kind of started using that, I, I knew that there was, you know, context lacking to it, but I think that's just what I needed. I clung to that um, and I found use to it, use in it. And so I didn't, I didn't question it because I, I needed that thing to use to help me through things. But yeah, if you give into shame, it gets stronger in my experience. So in those moments when you just shut your eyes and you step blindly and you are willing to take baby steps and to look foolish or to look vulnerable and you feel shame every in every inch of your body the entire time you're doing it, if you can almost shut off your perception and again I'm not I can't go into this at least not in this podcast uh, like shutting off all these perceptions and I, I do mean all these perceptions. I'm thinking about the different your different senses, right? By closing your eye, by, um, you know, people when they cover their ears, you know, stuff like that. And then it's also in your head that that sinking in and dropping lower so that that not ongoing, you know, train of thoughts that happen in your head. Um, when you can step back from it, right? It's like being in a room where the tons of activity and people are talking and you literally just step out of the room. There's a difference. The voices are farther away. You can't make them out as much. They're not as much of your problem. Like you were in this quieter space. Um, if you you can find a way to dip into that, even for short terms, long, literally seconds, long enough to say, hey, I need to talk to you. I have something important to say. I need you to listen whatever it might be, I think is so important. And again, this isn't something that I've implemented with my son yet, but it's something that I really do want to implement with him. Again, it was somewhere online. I saw someone mention basically getting a white piece of paper and like laminating it and on it making some sort of message like, I need you to hear me now, essentially. And then them putting it in their child's um, top drawer, or underwear drawer, pajama drawer, whatever, in their dresser. So it's like a white flag of whatever, truce, um, or surrender or whatever it is that, you know, if you have something to come to me about and you are afraid that I won't listen, that I'll be reactionary, that I'll get angry, that I'll try to take control of the situation or something, bring this to me. So you don't even have to say a word. Just by handing this to me, I know, okay, I need to be present. I need to not be thinking about other things. I'm not trying to fix the solution. This is their situation. They are coming to me because they trust me. And they want help. They want some insight, some direction. They want my opinion. They do trust me. But the more you make someone feel shame for their needs or their desires or things that they want to do or whatever it might be, the more they're going to pull back, the less they're going to trust themselves and the less they're going to trust you. And really, who wants that? I, I, I don't think anyone does. You know what I mean? So I think that's another reason why I think it's so important to really face that shame because not just for your own sake and living true and free, but also for your own relationships. If being human and living is about connection and communion, shame gets in the way of you being able to truly see people as they are and experience people and support people. And, and it limits the life that you get to experience, that you get to see, I, you know, the, the truth of things, 
it's hidden and it's perverted when there's so much shame in the way. I think it was Tennessee Williams. When I was a teenager, I had my walls covered in just quotes that I liked and I'm pretty sure it was Tennessee Williams. Um, it was something like, you have shame, I have shame. And we're both looking at each other through this shame. And the quote, they say more things like, you're, you know, you have this clouding. He says something about a window, I think. You're looking, you each have your own window and then the window's dirtied by, Okay, so say shame, say it's um, your experiences, your trauma, the, what your culture has taught you, your religion, your parents, whatever, whatever. It's just you're with all of these different things, they cloud your perception. So when you really think about someone is looking through their window that's dirtied in all these different ways through your window that's dirty in so many ways to you that you're never truly seeing each other for who you are. You never get the opportunity to see each other or understand each other. And I thought that was so beautiful, right? And that the goal should be to find a way to clean those windows so you can see each other. And then if you want to work further into that sort of idea, is there a way you could remove those barriers? Is there a way you want to remove those barriers totally? Or do those barriers represent your boundaries and your sense of self? Um, but, you know, that's half-baked thought. But I thought that that was really amazing way to put it that like we barely see each other and I feel like if you think about it that way you can barely see yourselves your own reflection is so limited and skewed and looks so dirty and it's not a true reflection of who you are I think I might want to elaborate on this idea that shame is a killer I really really do especially when it comes to any way that you diverge from the norm I guess like your sexuality is one, um, maybe your your sensitivities, people with mental health struggles, in any way that you divert from the norm, I feel like, because it's, maybe it isn't inherent, but it is so close to inherent that I feel like it could be passed off as inherent for people to use shame as a way to communicate appropriate ways of behaving or whatever. You learn all the time through being shamed that this isn't okay, you shouldn't talk like this, you shouldn't talk about these things, um, you're inappropriate, we don't like the way that you move, we don't like the way that you take up space, we don't like your interests, we don't want to hear them, and on and on and on. You are shamed out of these, and when it's just inherently who you are, and this is how you show up in the world, and this is how you communicate, and there is literally nothing wrong with it, but other people don't understand, or they have been taught to shame these things in themselves, so seeing it externalized into the world is a trigger for them, Right? These things wear on people's senses of self and their idea of safety and their idea that they are trustworthy and that they can trust and communicate and connect with other people. And it makes people feel exiled and you essentially become, yeah, exiled or excommunicated from social groups, big or small, because you aren't up to snuff. But that idea of like being up to snuff, it's the wrong way of looking at it, right? It's more like a hierarchy rather than a spectrum. And I think that the differentiation between that is actually so useful if you want to change like the context that you use to look at things in life. Um, yes, stress is a stress. Stress is a killer, yes. But shame, because then you lose that communi communication and connection with other people, which is 
a fundamental aspect of human happiness and health and life. Um, you start to not trust yourself, even in your own head, and that's fucked up. You are the safest in your own head and in your own body. So if you learn to not trust yourself, that self-betrayal, you have nothing. You have nowhere to stand and you have nothing to fall back on if you can't trust yourself. And I think that's really dangerous and shame is messed up in all of that. Shame is a killer. You have these people who already, and you don't even have to say they have mental illness or mental problems or whatever it is. They don't have these conditions. They can just be someone who looks and talks like you. Because anyone, even if you want to talk about people who are completely like, um, I don't know. I don't want to say normal, but let's just run with it so I don't veer off here. Even if you're someone who's basically normal. You have your own opinions and conclusions about things and in social settings, you still get exiled when you don't fit in with the expectations of the majority of the norm. And most people, I w maybe not most, um, but a lot of people are able to minimize themselves and put them into a place, you know, box themselves up so that they're able to find a new sense of identity or a new direction for their identity with these restrictions and they can find communication and connection through that. And that's totally valid as well. But I think it is worth discussing this possibility or this idea that you don't have to do that, first off. And second of all, it might actually be really, really dangerous to do that. So this isn't just speaking to people who have quote unquote struggles. Um, and by that, I, I mean mostly the struggle to fit in. You can't fake it. You can't mold yourself to look quote unquote normal. It, it, this exile is more common in them because you just can't fake it. You can't just fake it till you make it because you don't want to make it, whatever it is. You don't want to be that and you don't necessarily want to be those people and you don't want to be friends with people who make people feel like that. So people who are, yeah, quote unquote normal, the shame might not kill them, but I think it really, really undercuts the, the quality of your life. And I will leave it there for now. Um, for the people who do have struggles, whether they be physical or mental, whatever it might be, that's where I think shame can really kill people. Because you lose all connection with others, all belief in yourself. And this can make you want to be alone. And being alone, you can start losing your ability to communicate with others. You can lose the desire to communicate with others. You just get in this feedback loop in your own head of what reality is and you lose all outer reality, right? You lose the greater context. You lose yourself uh, in life. That makes your mental health worse. Right. And all forms of your health, they are interrelated. So if one starts going, others start going as well, especially if this is for a prolonged period. Right. And then you have this and then you are even further from the norm. You are exiled harder. You begin to face more and more barriers to support and connection and communication and job opportunities and so on and so on. That you give up. And this sort of spiral is where suicide often takes place. That is real right there. Shame is a killer. And then you have people who may pass as normal and they 
there's a good chance that they still might kill themselves. It's just, it might not be quite the same spiral, right? It might be someone living for decade after decade after decade, looking normal, you know, checking off the list the way that they should when it comes to life and um, status symbols. And I'm not saying that all these things, they're only status symbols, but your relationship status, your clothes, the house you have, the fact that you have kids, what kind of education you have, your job, they do serve as status symbols. But when you are shamed out of your own personal desires and your own path in life and from exploring and finding out what that looks like, having the freedom to do that, it takes the joy and the authenticity out of these experiences. And a greater percentage of this is status, status, status. The more your own joy and path and personality is sucked out of these things, they lose meaning and they become predominantly about status. And then you have these people who are quiet because nothing's wrong. They have a great life. They have a spouse that loves them. Like they have nothing to be unhappy about. They have money, maybe. And then you have these people who kill themselves, who are quiet, who never reach out for help because shame has taught them not to shame is so deep and they've been following it for so long then to question that narrative now and step out for help and question people's idea of who they are and you know i'm thinking of men here their manliness for going to therapy for having to take sick leave off work and not just from maybe their co-workers their friends their parents their boss but their wife potentially their children and themselves Again, you are alone. So even in this normalcy, you may be even more lost because you don't know that there's more. You don't know that there's another path. And then you also have this idea of, well, why would I start now? I've been doing this for decades. I can't restart my life. I won't abandon my family. And I feel that shame. I mean, you're taught it throughout your entire life, but the way that it takes place in childhood and adolescence, if you... And at that young, you often don't, most people don't deeply, deeply question authority, their, the authority that they have in their life to the point where they think, I'm going to step back and I'm going to do things different for a while. I think a lot of people get into this situation of maybe it's a school or academic path, maybe it's marriage and kids, whatever it might be, supporting a family. People get into these dynamics before they even actually establish what that means or if they want it. And then you have people who are unhappy in marriages, who have horrible marriages, who aren't good parents, who give their children horrible examples of what it means to be a partner and so on, but they're stuck in this. And the other option is, well, one, killing yourself, which a lot of people do, and two, abandoning your family, which one, there is like the literal abandonment where you just fuck off and you don't talk to your kids, your ex at all. You just, you just skip. And then you also have the people who, which is likely the messier one, which is probably why shame a lot of times encourages people, their decision is their own, um, and so are the consequences, but they feel because of shame that it's easier to just fuck off completely because they don't want to face shame. And then you have people who are like, I'm leaving this marriage, but we're going to work it out. We're going to still be a parent. I'm going to maybe switch my jobs, whatever it might be. Um, 
And then you have to be in that nitty gritty place of dealing with that shame, of uncovering it. And it's not in a nice, safe place where you get to do it at your own pace. You are breaking up a family. You have your children's expectations and love and pain to deal with. And the consequences of this, the long-term consequences, um, your exit and on and on and on. We could go on for so many different ideas of this, but that is messy and shame is scary and people want to avoid it right we're taught to avoid things that are going to cause us harm and shame is something that causes us harm but the thing is it causes us harm whether we are in the midst of it or fighting against it so i would really really suggest that this become a more common topic especially involving kids i really want to involve my child in this idea of like creating his own boundaries of what shame can do to him um, and being able to take control over your own life and that who you are is safe with me. I will always love you. I will be here for you. If I don't agree with something you do, I will tell you, right? There are things you can do that I will not support you in, but I won't, um, I don't, oh, I had a word in my head, but I can't remember now, but like, I won't write you off. I won't disown you, <clears throat> but there are things I might not support you in, right? And I will be honest with you. But me being honest with you isn't me being passive aggressive. It's not me shaming you. It's not me guilting you or whatever. It's not me trying to shame you in front of other people. I want him to know that that is hella disrespectful and that you deserve better than that. And that I will not come to situations with that from that place. And if I am, you better call me on it because that is bullshit. I really want him to know that because I don't want him to be someone that gets into adulthood and starts making all these commitments and then realizing he doesn't know who he is or what he wants, right? Yeah, if he chooses to be a dad, I want him to be a damn good dad. And if he chooses to be a partner to someone, I want him to be a damn good partner. But to do either of those things or anything else he might choose, you have to be a good person. You have to be good to yourself. You have to know who you are and you have had to have tested your own boundaries of who you are and what feels true and what doesn't um and shame can cut that off it will neutralize any self-exploration i don't know it teaches you to trust other people's judgments anyone anyone else's judgment external validation over your your own inner knowingness so that's a journey we're on and we will always be on that i will always be on because I think the consequences of shame, and maybe they're not direct consequences of shame, but shame is a part of so many things that I just don't think that it's, I don't think you can avoid it. I don't think we should be shunning that or not talking about that. I think it's extremely important to question shame and how shame practices come into your life for yourself and others. Um, because your life will look completely different if you could face that shame. And... I mean, I can't speak for your life, but from my own personal experience, shame is never as scary as you think it is, right? When you can face it, you realize, okay, shame is here. This is basically what it's saying to me, right? I am afraid of disappointing the people that I love. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of being exiled. I'm afraid of losing friends, right? And, you know, <laughs> if you talk to people about that, if you can like verbalize that and people say, well, then you know what? They were never your real friend to begin with or whatever. It's like, in that moment, I feel like they're really not that helpful. It's like, okay, true enough, but that doesn't really help me process this or to get past it. Um, and I feel like you, right? Again, you have to really drop into that topic and discuss it. And I think a journal is a place that you can do that. And yeah. And the reason why a journal is a safe space to do that is because then you're still right? You are safe inside your mind and you are safe with yourself. 
And to begin exploration there where you are safe is the place to do it. I was thinking about my cousin recently who is transgender, um, who goes by Luke now. And I was just trying, even just earlier today, I was trying to think like, how hard was that for them to come to that place, like to face all that ridicule and the shame and the disbelief and the eye rolling and the undercutting and, you know, the gaslighting and everything of that experience. And my assumption from, you know, not that I'm transgender, but from my own experiences of dealing with shame and trying to figure out who you are, you do have to do that in this safe space where you, so, okay, what I was imagining was that they must have taken a long time of using that name themselves and having it online with friends that they trusted and friends who were close and then just their parents. In their situation, it was their parents and working it through with their parents. And then from there, right, slowly, right, and you don't have to prove it to anyone. You don't have to come out to anyone. You don't, you're not obligated to offer that for anyone else's sake. That's your own processing. And um, this was actually something I recently explored as well because of dealing with my own sexuality and looking into the coming out process and looking at these people breaking down four stages of coming out and then finally realizing that coming out of the closet isn't just about announcing yourself. Like I remember being 16 and realizing like, well, yeah, I'm definitely into girls and thinking like, but I don't need to come out. Like it just is what it is. I don't owe that to anyone. But as I'm getting older and I really wanted to like, integrate that sexuality and that reality into my life not just in theory um facing this of like coming out is actually a really liberating experience right and when you can deal with your inner doubt and deal with where you feel safe and then you branch out one more step right you like talk to the people closest to you and you kind of can do that you can journal about it you can expose yourself to media or whatever it might be that helps you you know create a context for this you do that and then by the time you come come out publicly say you already know who you are no one can get under your skin or tell yourself are you sure you know maybe you're just going through something right now or whatever it might be that shit doesn't bother you because you are so deeply rooted in who you are and especially like more than you ever have before that's the beauty in this is coming not just sexuality but just coming closer to who you really are inside is your sense of self is so much stronger than it's ever been. This is actually something I, I wish I didn't have to use words. I wish I could communicate feeling. I wish I could like touch someone's shoulder and show them how it feels to go through these practices and get to know yourself better. Your sense of self expands like never before. Who you are is so much stronger. You don't feel as weak. People can't undercut you as much. People can't you're not looking for people to tell you what to do anymore because you no one knows you the way that you do and it's so liberating it's such a beautiful experience so i assume that's what my cousin luke was doing right they worked through their stages of coming out right the way that they could the way they decided the way that they felt was safest so by the point everyone else was found out or it was like i said public it wasn't a thing anymore they knew who they were they knew their name and it just didn't undercut them because they had worked through it themselves before they allowed other people in, which is expressing boundaries, which is incredible as well. And that's an interesting concept to pair there too. And I think it could be useful to help whoever's listening, create your own boundaries and idea and context of your own shame is shame and coming out, coming out of shame, pairing those two. Like 
I really, really love this idea of taking this idea of a coming out process to different aspects of your life, right? And shame, I feel like, is a part of all aspects of your life and all parts of your identity. And you can always come out of that. So really to pair those two things, right? Coming out of shame. There are stages to coming out of shame. You can explore what shame is to you. You have different methods of exploring your shame, of identifying it. You can take different steps in sitting and feeling your shame, recognizing, observing it in other people. What small ways are you wanting to challenge that first off? Implementing that, baby steps, what does that look like? How do you feel now? What do you wanna do next? It's a process and the fact that it's a process and not just a one and done type thing is actually the biggest blessing. It may seem like a blessing in disguise, but it is the biggest blessing because it's only in that process that you really get to know yourself. And that's the only way to deal with that shame. You can't just fake shame away. You can't just lie shame away. You have to face the shame. And by doing that, you have to face where the shame comes from. And sorry, there's a fly that's fucking annoying me. Um, oh, fuck. Oh, I forgot what I was saying. But you know what? This has been going for 50 minutes, so I might as well wrap it up here. I feel like this one was really half-baked as hell. I have no beautiful tidbit to end with, really, <laughs> like I did the last couple. It just, I feel like I'm just beginning to really look at the way, the ways that shame has or does play a part in who I am. And I still am in the beginning stages of my own coming out process, and by that I mean sexuality-wise, um, but in many other ways as well. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll keep you guys updated on the process. I'm sure I'll come back around and make different conversation, different podcasts about similar topics, but yes, starting point of shame kills. Doing the brave thing doesn't kill you. It's scary as hell, but it doesn't kill you. But shame, untouched, unexamined, like scar tissue, building upon scar tissue, building upon scar tissue deeply affects your quality of life and it can affect your very livelihood itself. The end. Thanks for stopping by, guys. I really hope that you come out and ask some questions regardless of what they are, big or small, you know. I'd be happy to hear from you and I hope you're happy to hear from me too.